Good morning. I've, give me a second here to get set up. I've got a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So, this morning we're doing uh, John chapter 6. I know if you were here last week, you may be thinking we already did John chapter 6. But there's actually a little piece in between last week's passages that we didn't preach on, and that's what we're going to do this week. So there was the the two bread passages, and then the piece in the middle is what we have today. So it's a sandwich. Um, And we get just the meat today. So uh, if you would uh, just join me in prayer, and actually uh, if you want to turn to your Bible, we're going to be using it throughout the sermon. Uh, It's John chapter 6, and you can turn there as I pray. Father God, just thank you for this time this morning, for those that you've gathered here. Thank you for the gift of your word uh, and of your spirit. And just pray that uh, your spirit would move in us to illuminate your word uh, and to prepare our hearts and minds to receive what you are saying to us today. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So, uh, actually here, I'm going to read first, and then, and then we'll talk because we're going to read it again. Uh, so this is uh, slightly different than your pew Bible, but don't panic. It's close enough, and you should be able to follow along. <laughs> Verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. And he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, if you're familiar with the passage of Jesus walking on water, you might think there's a couple missing pieces here. There's no Peter getting out of the boat. There's no, uh, you know, there's no conversation back and forth between Jesus and the disciples. It's just Jesus speaking. And so what John's doing here is he's trying to just focus us. He's trying to make, you know, one really strong point. And it's actually the same point as the other versions of this story, which it's in all four Gospels. Uh, and so I, was, uh, I always have a debate with my wife on Saturdays before I preach about what the best illustration will be. Um, and we actually were split on this. So, raise your hand if you are familiar in any way, shape, or form from the comics, movies, or TV with Superman. Now, keep your hand up if you also know who Clark Kent is. Now, what this what happened in the last service? More people put their hands up, which doesn't make any sense to me. There's no way you know Clark Kent but not Superman. But anyway, so we're all familiar with Superman. And when he's Clark Kent, You know, he's got the glasses on, he's a journalist, he works at the newspaper, and he's kind of a dorky guy, right? He's a little bit of a dweeb, a little bit of a klutz, and and the whole time you're just thinking to yourself, you know, especially when people talk down to him, uh, or, you know, they give him an order, say something really condescending, you're like, come on, man, just use your laser eyes or something, and, because you know he's got it, and, and he never does, but what we get in this story it's very similar. You know, Jesus incarnate, you know, we, we know he's God in the flesh, and we see him in these situations, and you're always thinking, when are you going to just do something? And so this is kind of that Superman moment. 
You know, this is like the phone booth moment for Jesus, where he changes into the, the superhero attire. Um, <laughs> that was, she said, she, said bathing, she said it was his bathing suit. But she's heavily connected with swim ministry, so <laughs> some people <laughs> see what they're looking for. Although I did, I did have, there was an adult swimmer one time who cited this passage as to why they wouldn't get in the pool. They said Jesus was also afraid to get in the water, and they didn't understand why they had to get in the water. Um, so that's, we're going to talk about another possible interpretation of that text. Um, but thank you for that reminder, Sam. Um, so... It's interesting that the first verse we have here is verse 15. And it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so you have to wonder, this is the question that by the end we're going to answer, is why would he withdraw? Why won't he let this crowd take him and make him king? Uh, you know, what, what, why is he holding out? You know, is that not ultimately his purpose is to to be the, the king and the ruler of, uh, of his people and of the world. And so we have to ask that. And, and the, big, the big idea here that is just so clearly asserted is that we have to accept Jesus on his own terms. He's the one who sets the agenda. He's the one who establishes his identity. And so, you know, we sometimes, like this crowd, want to make Jesus king on our terms. It's according, it's according to our methods, our systems, our idea of what a king or a ruler should be. And he doesn't accept those definitions, uh, those limits, those standards uh, that we would impose on him. So he resists uh, being made king here, and he rejects both the title and the method uh, that this world offers him. So the title you know, of being king over a certain country or a certain people group and the method of being forcefully made king. His, his way of becoming king is actually the complete opposite. As you'll see throughout the gospel, is, uh, the only way to his throne is through suffering and death. And so the people, as we see in, in the bread passage before this, they want a king who will give them stuff. But as Jesus points out just after this, they want the wrong stuff. And so actually our problem is that we want the wrong stuff from the wrong person uh, and the wrong title. And, and so Jesus is, is certainly going to reveal himself as king by the end of the story, but it's not the king they're asking for, and it's not the way to take the throne that they think it is. But let's keep reading. Um, verse six, verses uh, 16 and 17 says, uh, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come with them. And... Uh, there's, there's not a lot to say here. We just keep moving through the story, but I'd just like to point out here that not only does Jesus withdraw from this crowd, but he sends his disciples away from the crowd that wants to make him king. He doesn't want this idea permeating or contaminating his disciples. Now, it probably, that more than one of them probably thought this was not a bad idea to make him king. They're like, I'm in his inner 12. He gets made king. Guess what happens to me? I've got, you know, I've got a lot of power. I've got a lot of stature all of a sudden. doesn't sound like such a bad idea. If the, the mob wants to make him king, we'll make him king. But Jesus doesn't want them thinking about him like this. In fact, he's going he's gonna to show them something uh, totally different in the very near future here. 
Uh, in verse 18, we see that the sea became rough because a strong wind was blown. And uh, now this particular sea that's mentioned in the Bible, um, the, you know, all the scholars, the, the commentators, the uh, archaeologists, the meteorologists, they've all talked about this location. And it is a sea that is particularly prone to very sudden, very strong storms. Uh, and so it's not unheard of that this would have happened there. But it is such a strong storm that uh, it's worthy of note. And luckily, a few of Jesus' followers were fishermen. So they were used to time on the water. Uh, but the rest weren't. And so that's probably a pretty scary experience, even for a fisherman, especially for not a fisherman, uh, say a tax collector. That's not a, not a climate they like to hang out in. Um, and so this is just as a side note here, because this story has a lot of levels. It's got a lot of depth to it. But if you've, if you've come to a season in life, or even if you've come in here this morning, where you've hit a really rough patch in life, it's worth noting that the disciples are in this situation because they did what Jesus told them to do. Jesus told them to get in the boat and cross the sea, and they did it, and they're in a stormy situation. And so it's because of obedience, not because of disobedience, that they're in this situation. Now, I just think that's interesting because I think a lot of times in, in the Christian life, uh, when we encounter uh, difficult situations, we're very prone to thinking uh, that I must have done something wrong or I must have, you know, God isn't with me because something bad is happening to me. But that's actually um, the complete opposite of what we see here. Uh, and so the occasion for the storm was not because they did something wrong, but it's actually because Jesus wants to show them something. And without the storm, he wouldn't be able to show them what he wants to show them. So I just think that's interesting. Let's keep going. Verse 19 he goes on to say, uh, when they had rowed about three or four miles, which, by the way, is no small distance to row in uh, normal weather and very long distance to row in stormy weather. When they rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. And so it's, it's an exhausting task, and you probably feel like you're not really going anywhere when you're rowing against a storm like that. And the interesting thing here is that we've talked about the storm, and we've talked about their strong efforts rowing against the storm, but it never says that the storm is frightening. Now, maybe that's implied, that a storm is frightening. But even if the storm is frightening, it's only the second most frightening thing they see. Think about that. They see Jesus, and that's what frightens them, not the storm. And so this must be... Uh, obviously a shocking event, but there's also something about seeing him walk there that uh, instills fear, and we're going to talk about that, because verse 20, this is, if you're a highlighter or an underliner, verse 20 is your verse uh, in this passage today. Don't do it to the Pew Bible. Um, if you have that, I'll... Uh, but uh, verse 20 says quite a bit. So throughout the Gospel of John, we focused on two things. We focused on the signs of Jesus, which the sign, a sign is uh, different from a miracle. Uh, it's not mutually exclusive, but a sign points to something. And so every time you see a sign of Jesus, you say, what is it pointing to? And then we've also been focusing on the I am statements of Jesus. And he just finished saying, you know, I am the bread of life. That was last week's sermon. And this week, in this short little five-verse passage, uh, maybe even shorter than that, we, we get both. We get an I am statement and a sign. So this is, uh, we get a lot of bang for our buck here in verse 20. 
so he says to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now first, let's talk about the sign. What is the sign that we're seeing here? And the sign is the walking on water. And you may ask, what is that pointing to? Um, of course, it's a miracle. You know, we don't just walk on water. It's, he's doing something miraculous. In fact, there's two miracles in this passage, but there's one sign. And what John wants us to see is he's, he's um, intentionally you know, writing this in such a way that we'll see this. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. I'm just warning you. Uh, and what he's pointing to here is in the book of Exodus. Now, can you think, this isn't Bible trivia bowl time, but can you think of another time that God's people needed help crossing a body of water? It's parting the Red Sea. Um, or, uh, what's that? And the Jordan. Yeah, so God's always doing stuff with water. Um, but the interesting thing about that, though, is that at the time uh, that Exodus was written, and in, really in, all the way through New Testament times, uh, almost every uh, religion of the day, including a lot of, um, of Jewish people, uh, considered the waters, you know, the big expansive waters, the seas uh, and the oceans, to be a, a place of chaos, a place of turmoil. It can't be ruled by the gods. Uh, it can't be ruled by anything because it's so unpredictable and you can just go out on your normal trade route and all of a sudden a hurricane, unpredictable, and, and you're gone. And so most religions were uh, timid about the waters at best. But in Exodus chapter 6, God exercises his power over the water, which were thought to be chaotic and unruly, to deliver his people. And then again in John chapter 6. God exercises his power over the water to deliver his people. So what it's pointing to is that, you know, it's God's action and God is doing something for his people. And so we'll, we'll see that even more clearly as we keep going. Now the second thing, we talked about the, the sign, and we'll, we'll keep talking about it, but the I am statement. Now you may feel like this is a trick, um, but it isn't. Uh, this one's very easy to miss, but verse 20 is actually an I am statement, which, by the way, the I am statements also point back to the Exodus. Um, in, in Exodus 3.14, Moses asked God what his name is, what he should tell the people, and he says, my name is I am. And so Jesus takes that and says, I am the bread of life. I am the vine, as Sam just quoted. And then here he's saying, I am. But the phrase that's recorded here, and I promise I'm not going to go crazy in the Greek here, but it's just two words. They're ego I me. And that phrase is translated I am. If you pick up the Greek copy of the Old Testament, when it goes and says what God's name is, it says ego I me. And when you go through the Gospel of John and he says the I am statements, he says ego I me. And here he says ego I me. But you may notice that in our translations... Uh, for almost everything you'd be holding, um, it says, it is I. And that's because there's also an, there's another way to translate this phrase. It has a few different meanings, and one of them is a very common, familiar saying. It's, um, it's a way of showing recognition. So if somebody knocks on your door and you say, who is it? And they say, ego a me. It's me. 
it's, you know, you know me. You just know my voice by hearing my voice. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, someone pointed out to me between services, you know, when you get, check your voicemail, if it's your spouse or family or someone calling, they don't introduce themselves at the beginning of the voicemail. They just say, hey, it's me, and you know their voice. And so this is actually the, the difficult thing about translating languages because when you see this, you say, well, John is trying to show us that Jesus' voice is so familiar to the disciples that even in the midst of the storm, he can say, it's me, and they recognize his voice. Or is he saying that I am? Like he's identifying with God. And John actually wants you to be able to see both. And that's consistent throughout the Gospel of John. Even if you don't believe me in this passage, you could just read the rest of the book, and he's going to back me up on that one. John wants you to see uh, both sides of Jesus at the same time. Um, And so what John is capturing here is actually really powerful. It's almost the entire summary of the gospel. It's the center of the gospel message. Jesus is far more powerful than his disciples imagined, and he is far more personal than most of us imagine. Do you see that? You don't have to choose, when, you, when we're talking about Jesus, you don't have to choose between sovereignty and intimacy. Jesus is both come together. He's sovereign over all creation. The, the waters, the chaotic storms that no, no God in the ancient world would mess with, he walks across calmly, and then he calls out and they know his voice. You get sovereignty and intimacy just woven together all throughout the Gospel of John. And so his, his power is equal to that of God the Father. He's Lord over all creation, yet he draws so close that they know his voice like it's a voice of a friend. And so this is why when Jesus withdraws, when the people try to make him king, he's, he's more of a king than they could possibly imagine already. Um, yet he doesn't behave like a king, uh, like any king this world has ever known. And so this is Jesus' not-so-subtle answer to that question. You say, why would he withdraw? Why would he not want to be made king by these people? And he says, you want to make me king? I'm already a king. I, this is, you know, and my kingdom is far bigger than whatever you were going to assign me. And so Jesus doesn't settle for the titles that our world would give him because he already possesses something greater. He doesn't take his throne by a mob or by a coup, but through his suffering and his death. Everything, everything about Jesus is different than we would have expected. But it's not just different than we expect, it's better. Jesus is a better king than we would have expected. He's more powerful, he knows no boundaries to his kingdom, yet he's more personal and he's more loving than any king we could have ever designed for ourselves. So that's why if you go back to, you know, why wouldn't they make him king? The answer is found in these verses. Jesus is not going to be controlled by other people's agendas, including ours. We have to take Jesus as he presents himself. And John has done that beautifully here. So he's a better king than we could ever design for ourselves because he knows what we truly need. And it's not more bread like you're about to see in the next few verses if you keep reading. He's giving you the bread of life. And so, as we, as we wrap it up here, I just want to point out that you know, we believe this is, um, this is a historical account. This is you know, not a parable or anything like that. But at the same time, it serves as a beautiful like, allegory 
for the gospel, the entire summary of the gospel is really tied up in this passage because we see uh, the disciples stranded, helpless in a boat, and before they can even see Jesus, Jesus sees them and comes to them. God enters the world while we are still sinners. Romans 3, no one seeks after God, but he has come and sought after us. And once Jesus enters the boat, he doesn't pick up an oar and start rowing with them to supplement their efforts. He doesn't add to our efforts to save ourselves. Once he enters the boat, this is the second miracle, by the way, they're on the shore. Salvation is accomplished as soon as Jesus enters the scene. When Jesus enters your life, before you even knew you needed him, Jesus entered the world, and when he comes, he brings salvation to the fullest. Would you please join me in prayer? Father God, we just thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you uh, that you know our needs better than we know them ourselves. We know uh, of your, many of us know of your sovereignty, many of us know of your love. Uh, Help us understand both, um, that both are bigger and better than we can imagine, and that we have uh, both in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, for the immense love that is Uh, poured out in us on the cross and now at this time we lift up those who uh, those who are in need in uh, in our community still in the hospital is is Bob Wade and Phyllis Schoenberger and recently released from the hospital Debbie Duncan uh, to her home and Kathleen Hughes to rehab and finally we lift up Jeff Martin we just pray that uh, you would be with him and his family and and his uh, doctors just pray for Uh, wisdom and mercy and grace Uh, we just pray that uh, you would strengthen them and that you would strengthen us as his uh, as his community of believers just pray that uh, we would show him the love that you have shown to us and we would pass that on Uh, we would be conduits of grace for all those in need Uh, we lift that we lift up all these concerns in the name of your son jesus and as we pray together